Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today's message is part of our series, Christian. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher. Well, this morning we are in a series called Christian. Uh, We've been in this thing now for a few weeks, and it's been pretty fun. It's been pretty fun for me. Hopefully, if you've been here, it's been pretty fun for you. If you haven't, you can check those out online at verticalchurch.tv. This is now the fourth week. And we're talking about Christian because we've discovered that really none of us know what it means. None of us know what the word Christian means because uh, it's meant different things and, and really it means whatever you want it to mean. Because in the New Testament, the word Christian isn't defined. In fact, it's only used three times and each time it's used, it's used in a derogatory fashion to refer to those insiders, those Christians. And it's used by people on the outside of the Jesus community. And what we've said is there's a word that Jesus uses to describe his followers and a word that they use to describe themselves, and that word is disciple. And we said that is a really terrifying, scary word because it's so well defined. We know exactly what it means. And what we've discovered is that insiders, the people that, if you think of the Jesus community as a circle, the people inside that circle think that the word Christian means what you believe. You know, that's what we in the church, if you grew up in the church, you know, we're real, real uh, strict on you got to believe the right stuff. You know, you got to believe right. But what we've discovered is that those on the outside, when they think of Christian, it's all about what the person does. For example, let me give you an example. Have you heard anyone say something like, Well, you know, they say they're a Christian, but they don't look like Jesus. Well, what are they saying? They're saying, look, from my perspective, when I observe their attitude, their actions, their behavior, it doesn't match what Jesus says it should be. I can't see what they believe, but I can see what they do, and what they do doesn't look like Jesus. Or or better yet, have you ever heard someone say, you know, something like, well, why don't they act more like Jesus? Well, that's what they're saying. Look, their, their behavior is not consistent with what I imagine someone who says they're following Jesus would do. And so insiders and outsiders, we have this different idea of how we define Christian. In fact, a guy named uh, Steve Jobs, who's one of our, you know, the late Steve Jobs, the Apple uh, founder, you know, the, the guy behind the iPhone, you know, just, everybody knows Steve Jobs. And he said this about Christianity. Look, this guy's not even a Christian. He grew up in church, but he left. And look what he says. He says, the juice. I love that kind of just idea, the juice of Christianity. I don't know, it just sounds cool to me. Maybe it's because he's Steve Jobs, and every day he wore jeans and a black turtleneck, right? Simplified his lifestyle. Anyway, came up with the iPhone, iPad, all that. It's great. Um, The juice goes out of Christianity. Look, this is an outsider saying this. When it becomes too based on faith, and that might make some of you uncomfortable if you, you know, grew up in the church, that idea might make you uncomfortable. Rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as he saw it. Look, this is not even a, a guy who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, look, you, from, from an outsider's perspective, the juice of your thing, man, the, 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 the driving force is gone when it's too based on this, this thing that we can't understand and can't see, when it's too based and not based on living like Jesus. Which doesn't surprise us if you've been here for a few weeks. 
Because we've been looking at one particular passage over and over from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35. When, when Jesus is describing to his followers, look, here's how people are going to know that you're on, on the inside. Here's how people are going to know that you are following me. He says this, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By what? He says, if you love one another. Because love, you can see that. Now, love the feeling, love the emotion, you know, all that stuff. It's not what Jesus is saying, love in an action sense. Love in the verb form is how people will know that you're my followers. If you, if you action love each other. Well, that's nice, Jesus. I appreciate that. Disciples are supposed to love each other. And trust me, that gets really tough sometimes. If you've been in around church long enough, you know that loving people can get really difficult and awkward and frustrating. And sometimes you just want to punch somebody in the throat. And it's okay. I get that. Look, I'm a pastor. And sometimes the people I talk to just here in the lobby, I'm like, dude, if, if, if Jesus didn't love me, I'd punch you in the mouth right now. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody in particular. No, but, but you know, it's great, Jesus, but how do we then, how, how do we act towards those people outside our community? If you said, Jesus, look, here's how you're supposed to act towards the people inside you. Love one another. Okay, that's great. But how are we supposed to act towards people outside? How, how are we supposed to interact with people who are not one of us? Well, that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. As as Christian as disciples, and you know, some people are like, "Well, we can't use the word Christian anymore because Pastor Josh tells us we're not Christian." We're not let's say that. But as followers of Jesus, how do we act towards people who aren't followers of Jesus? How do we respond to the people who aren't disciples? And so, I want to kind of preface this by saying, today might be unsettling for some of you. Today might be awkward for if you grew up in the church and it's like in you. It's, this might get weird for you. It might be unsettling. You might, you might leave feeling a little bit insecure. You might not even like it. But here's what I want you to do. If you don't like it, if you say, man, I don't buy any of what Pastor Josh said today. Here's what I want you to do. When you get home, I want you to take your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can stop at the VIP area on your way out. We'll give you a Bible uh, free of charge. You don't even have to give anything in the offering later. Um, I want you to take it, take it out, open it up, and reread the passage that we're going to look at today and just ask yourself one simple question. Is this, is, is, that, what you, is that what the Scripture teaches? That's all I want you to do. If you, if you have a difficult time buying into what I say today, just go home, read it again, and say, is that what the Bible teaches? And so the question today is, how should disciples respond to those who aren't disciples. And here's the common response. Here's what I grew up in. I grew up in the church. I was born on a Sunday. My mama was ironing clothes, getting ready to go to Sunday school, and she had to stop at the church. They laid hands on her, and then she went on to the hospital, okay? So I know this is the reality that you may have grown up in. This is the reality I grew up in, okay? Here's how we understand this question. Here's how we answer it. We're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin. Now, that's how we grew up. Now, that's how I grew up. Maybe that's not how you grew up. If you didn't grow up as a Christian, then this is like, I don't understand what that means. And, and this is how I grew up, but can I, can I share something with you? I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable. I'm, I'm beginning to look at this analogy, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the, the sinner, hate 
the sin. I, I grew up with that. It's very, very familiar, but there's something uncomfortable with it. There's, for me, when I look at that and I read that, there's something that I'm not comfortable with in, in some of the assumptions that a statement like that makes. Let me share what I'm talking about. You see, we as insiders, if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe this doesn't describe you, we have this idea about sin that we can separate it from the sinner. Because we think, we think that sin is something that you do. Like it's just, it's only something, something that, you, that you act upon, something that is outside, some kind of action, like, like playing hockey, okay? Or, or watching The Bachelor, you know? Some of you need to stop watching The Bachelor. But anyway, <laughs> not because it's sinful, because it's a really terrible quality. Watch something else, you know? Um, whatever, uh, Survivor, I don't care what you watch, but anyway. No, no we, we think that sin is something that's outside, like, like it's an activity that you participate in. But it's so much more than that. And that's why this is starting to make me uncomfortable, this idea of love the sinner, hate the sin, because, because sin is, is so much more than that. It's, it's not just an action that you do. It's not just an activity that you participate in. It's something that is ingrained in the human condition. It's something that's it, it's, it's inside of us. I mean, first, first of all, we're born into it. So, so if you're born into it, how do you separate the person from the sin? And so, so that we make it sound real easy, love the sinner, hate the sin. But, but when you get into it, you know, how do you, that, that's, like saying, that's like saying, well, Pastor Josh, I love you, but I hate that you're a dude. What are you talking about? I was, I was, I was, I was born like this. And some of you are already kind of getting uncomfortable because you're like, well, wait a second now, hold on. We're going to get there, okay? We're going to get there. Trust me, we're going to get there. And the second thing is, is not only are we born into it, but we choose it. We choose it like I chose a wife, right? Pastor Josh, I, I love you, but I hate your wife. It didn't work. <laughs> you can't. And so I'm starting to get really uncomfortable with this, so I ask myself this question. Okay, if I'm uncomfortable with how we respond to that answer, love the sinner, hate the sin, then how did Jesus' early followers answer that question? How did they wrestle with the, the, the how do we respond to people who are not in our community? Well, the first thing that I kind of noticed was in Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 19 and 20, Jesus is getting ready to leave the world. He's getting ready to leave the earth. He's, he's giving his final words to his disciples. Here's what I want you to do, fellas. Here, here it is, verse 19. Probably We call this the Great Commission. If you went to vacation Bible school, you probably had to memorize it as a kid. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, I'm going to send you out. You're the, you're the community. I'm going to send you out to the outside world, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. You know, that, that phrase, make disciples, is a very, very interesting phrase. It, it, it literally means go and cause someone to become a follower. Go and, go and compel them 
to want to become a pupil and learn how to live life patterned after Jesus. Go and draw them in and say, look at what Jesus Look at who Jesus, just look at Jesus and look at the life that he offers. Just, just come take a look and then, and then allow that to cause them to want to be part of the community. And so Jesus' followers, they, Jesus leaves and his, his followers begin doing exactly that. And the thing begins growing like wildfire, just growing rapidly. In fact, Paul one of Jesus' early followers, he wasn't one of those there that was listening to Jesus say this, but he came along later. He, he described this same thing, not as making, not as causing or compelling. He described it in a letter to a church in the city of Corinth as winning. Jesus, or Paul, says, Paul says, look, I'm here to win as many as possible. And if, because that's my goal, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever won somebody? Or better yet, maybe this will make more sense. Have you ever won somebody's heart? You know, if you're married here, you got a, or you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you're thinking, man, I've got to win her heart. You know, my wife, she's the one that was playing the keyboard and singing, right, wearing the hat, looking real, like, hipster-like. Anyway, <laughs> hipster is a, never mind. Um, I'll leave that there. Anyway, when I met her, when I met her, my, my goal was to win her heart. And I, when I met her, I said, you know what? I want her to want to be with me more than she wants to be with anybody else on the planet. And so here's what I'm going to do. When I go to meet her, I'm going to make sure I look good. I'm going to make sure I smell nice. I'm going to put some cologne on. I'm going to fix my hair. I'm going to make myself more attractive, because what? My goal is to win her heart. I'm going to make myself more attractive than any other option that she has. Not only am I going to do that physically, but because, because I recognize that she's a Jesus follower, I'm going to do that spiritually. I'm going to make myself more attractive spiritually so that she wants to be with me. I can't go and just grab her. I mean, we're not like caveman days. I can't just go grab her hair, club her over the head, and drag her off. No, I've got to win her affection. Some of y'all are thinking that sounds like a pretty good idea. Can I get it? Can I get it on that? No. So my goal was to show her that, look, life with me is better than life with anybody else. And I won. That's right. I won. And you know what? The early disciples, they won. Yeah, thank you for that hand. I worked really hard. It's not easy. I have a lot to work with. From West Virginia. Those of you who are from West Virginia, you understand. Anyway, this is the strategy that the, the, the disciples had for 300 years. And the thing is growing and booming. In fact, it grows so fast and so large that in just 300 years, the great Roman Empire, the, 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 the world power, comes and bows down the foot of Christianity and becomes Christian. The whole empire becomes Christian. Keep in mind, in 300 years, this this marginalized, outcast group of, of, of Jewish people in some corner of the Roman Empire all of a sudden grows to have the entire empire say, we want to be Christian. But see, that's when the problem happens. That's when everything kind of uh, got messed up. Because when the Roman Empire comes and says, hey, well, the whole Roman Empire is Christian, now the Christians have something other than love to leverage in the world. They have power. 
They have power. They have real power. So now if you don't convert to our community, we have power over you. And anytime the church leverages anything other than love, we go backwards. We don't go forwards. We go backwards. And so when Jesus says, by this, they'll know that you're my disciples, how you love, the church says, well, we don't have to love because we've got the power. We'll use something else. So the Great Commission started sounding something like this. Let's put that up there. He says, the Great Commission sounds like this. Now, therefore, go and impose my teaching, values, and worldview on all nations. Impose it. You don't have to make. You don't have to cause. You don't have to win. You don't have to draw. Just go impose it. Threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I've commanded. Look, that's not a message of a group whose message is love. That's a message of a group who's in power, who's got the power. And that's not the message of Jesus. That's the message of the Roman Empire. And so what happens here is the very way that, the, the, that Rome embraced Christianity because, because their goal was to win the world, not to impose, not to threaten, not to offend. I mean, this was, what, this was Paul's perspective. I'm going to go to a non-Jewish world and I'm going to create Jesus followers. I'm going to make people fall in love with Jesus because he is that awesome. Because we have discovered life and life to the fullest and we believe this is the greatest deal on the planet and we're going to go share it, and people are going to fall in love with it. And so what happens is we got the power, and so we went from leveraging love to leveraging power. We went from winning others to threatening others. We went from God is love to God's going to get you. You ever grew up in that church? I grew up in that church. God is going to get you, right? If you don't act the right way, we're going to get you. Because we've got the power, because we're in control. Look, this was America not too long ago, but you know, those of us who see the, the, the Christian, Judeo-Christian values in our, in our society declining, they're getting really scared. I'm getting really excited. Because I'm thinking, oh, shoot now, we're getting back to, to first, second, third century kind of Christianity where we're just going to have to tell people, God loves you because we don't have the power of culture anymore. This is going to be awesome. Church is going to explode because anytime that we're marginalized, we explode. Anytime we have the power, we tend to mess things up. So, back to the question. How then should we treat and respond to those outside the Jesus community? Well, that same letter that Paul talks about winning others, he also talks about this in a unique kind of way. And we're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's writing, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. The scriptures will be on the screen. You also received them when you came in on the back of your program. Um, Paul's writing this letter to his church in Corinth around um, uh, 50, roughly 50 miles southwest of Athens, if you want to go look it up on a map. And we've talked about Corinth here before, if you've been around for a little while, you know that it's a pretty rough place. It's not really a place you'd want to go raise a family. Uh, very, very pagan, very uh, awkward culture. And so Paul gets news that in the church in Corinth, there's something really nasty going on. It's so nasty that even outsiders are looking at the church and going, ugh, nobody does that. Gross. Okay? And so he, he's going to address an issue, but then he's going to give us some insight in, in answering our questions. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Paul says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you 
And look what it says. And of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Right? So right off the bat, we discover something. There, there are two standards, if you will. There is this Jesus follower morality standard, and then there's this non-Jesus follower morality standard. And Paul says, look, what's going on in the church, even the people on the outside are like, what is up with that? Ugh. Nobody does that. So you're wondering, what is that, right? You're like, what's going on? What? Okay, so here we go. He goes on, the rest of verse 1. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Now, hold on, before you get all creeped out in your mind, Paul's not talking about this man sleeping with his mom. Okay, gross. It's not what he's saying, okay? Paul would have said that. Paul would have said, a man is sleeping with his mom, not... The way he says it, he says his father's wife. So probably what has happened is that either his mom had died or, or his parents had gotten divorced and, and his dad had remarried. And so either this guy's hooking up with his stepmom or uh, his dad and his, his stepmom have gotten divorced and he's hooking up with his ex-stepmom. Either way, people are going, oh, nobody does that. Gross. Paul's saying, you're proud about this. And, and the language that he uses makes it look like this is an ongoing relationship between the two of them. And he makes it clear that they're in the church. And so Paul's saying, why is this allowed to even go on? Now look, the church at Corinth wasn't a big church. We get this idea, even in a church our size, that you know, people can kind of slip in and slip out. You don't know who they're with. I don't have a clue who they are. They're just coming off the street. That's not how the church was in Corinth. The church had maybe, maybe 50 people in it, and everybody was in a close-knit community, so you knew everybody's business. Did you grow up in that kind of town? I grew up in that kind of small town. Everybody knew everybody's business, right? And so uh, Paul's saying, look, you all know this, and nobody's addressing it. What's going on? Look at what he goes on to say. Verse, the rest of verse 2, shouldn't you rather have gone into, your, into mourning and have put out of your fellowship, the man who has been doing this. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, look what he says, this is crazy. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. And we'd say, hold on, time out, Paul. Time out, Paulie. Hold up. You've passed judgment? I'm not sure about this, Paul. Wait a second. Paul, the Bible teaches do not judge others which Paul would say, I'm writing the Bible. We would go, oh yeah, that's right. No, 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 look, I'm going to share something with you that's going to make you the smartest room in, in, in some rooms that you're in. You're hanging out with your family and, and somebody says, you know, we're not supposed to judge. You're going, to be like, you're going to look like Einstein. Look, the Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. The Bible does not teach, do not judge. The Bible teaches us who to judge. The Bible tells us who we are to judge. And look what Paul says. He says, I've already passed judgment in the name of Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, Paul? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, you got a dude in your, in your community. He has signed on to be a follower of Jesus. This is not some random guy. This is not an outsider. This is, this is a committed disciple. And his behavior right now is going outside of the normal for our community. That's all he's saying. He's saying, he's saying look, this guy... He signed on 
as a follower. He made a commitment to be a follower, and now his behavior, his actions, are outside of what we consider to be acceptable behavior for those inside. And so, you know, he's already, he's already passed judgment on himself. I don't even have to do anything. And look, if this guy's as, as, as tough as, as what you say he is, look, I, I'm, I'm, I've already decided what should happen. And eventually, eventually Paul's going to say, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to give we're going, to, we're going to give custody uh, to this guy, to Satan. <laughs> we're going to make Satan his custodian. For those of you who have ever had parole officers, we're going to make Satan his parole officer. Like, like hey, meet your parole officer, Satan. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, my parole officer was Satan. Look, it's tough. But no, what Paul's saying is, look, if you insist on continuing to live that direction, you can, you can do that, but you got to leave the community. you gotta, you got to leave being, you can't consider yourself a disciple. And here's what Paul is telling us. He's telling us the truth about the, the, in, the, the effect of sin. Sin has consequences. You don't have to be a religious person to know this. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to know this. Sin has consequences. Look, that thing that you started that you knew wasn't a good idea, that you knew wasn't healthy for you, that you thought, well, I'll just do this a couple of times, what happened? It became an addiction, okay? Because what? Bad choices have consequences. That, that, that guy or girl that you knew, everybody's telling me not to go out with them, I shouldn't go out with them, you know what, but I'm going to do it anyway, and, and it started off good and you were happy, but now it's terrible and they're driving you crazy and you're thinking, why did I ever do this in the first place? What? Choices have consequences. This is all Paul's saying. Choices have consequences. Religious or not, sin has consequences, results. So Paul says, let him go. Look, his, his behavior is already saying that he doesn't want to live in, in, in community the way that we live. So he's already wanting to go, so let him go. Let him feel the consequences of his sin, and when he comes running back, we can take him back and love on him and show him the grace of God as an outsider. And so, what? sometimes we read this and we're like, well, Paul's saying send him to hell. No, Paul's not saying send him to hell. No, Paul understands something that, that as a pastor I've come to understand. Sometimes the shortest journey for a person is to go all the way into their sinful behavior. So they can get beat up really bad, so they can discover all the consequences of it, and then they can come into a church like ours and discover the grace and love of Jesus and turn their life around. That's all Paul's saying. Let him, let him go all the way into it so that when he comes back, we can show him the grace and love of God. So you remember our question, right? What, how, how do we respond to outside? Because Paul's been addressing an insider, okay? Insider. Somebody's made an obvious commitment to be a disciple. Now Paul's going to try to clear up something that, that they may have been confused about in a previous letter. Paul wrote four letters to the church in Corinth. We have two of them. We don't have the first one. If you have a copy of it, would you mind sharing it with us? There would be a lot of interest in it. But anyway, we don't have it. And so here's where he begins to answer our question. How do we respond to those on the outside? Verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning. Look, look, look. I wrote to you not to associate with sexual immoral, immoral, sexually immoral people, but I think you got confused. He says, look, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Wasn't talking about outsiders, y'all. Wasn't talking about them or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. 
which is helpful, right? Because you've been hanging out with your family at a family reunion, and you've looked around, and you've thought, oh, gosh, I don't even know if I should be here. People are crazy. Or maybe you, you go to work, and, and somebody beside you, you're like, man, they are creepy. I don't even know if I should work in this place, let alone actually talk to the people beside me. Oh, look, that's helpful, right? Because Paul's saying, look, I wasn't talking about the people of this world. I wasn't talking about outsiders. You can't divorce yourself relationally just because someone isn't a Jesus follower. You'd have to leave the world to do that, Paul says. And right now, you can't do that. You don't have that choice. And so, for those of us who are wanting to be disciples, we've got to understand that we can't just disengage from people because they don't live like we live. And I love that Paul, I love that Paul makes a list. I love that Paul makes a list because, because we all have lists, don't we? We all have lists that determine how we're going to treat people because most of us treat outsiders like my son Lex, who's six-year-old, treats salad. Okay. If you haven't been around him, my son Lex, when somebody's sitting beside of him eating salad, he's so scared that that salad is going to contaminate what's on his plate. Literally, he sits there and he scoots away and he goes, ugh, salad, ugh. It's the weirdest thing. Y'all pray for him. He needs help. But that's how we treat people who are on the outside. Ugh, you're going to contaminate me. You're going you're gonna to rub off on me and I'm going to, look, and Paul makes a list, because like I said, we all have lists. It's the worst of the worst list, isn't it? We all have them. Let's just, let's just own up. Let's stop trying to be fake. We all got our list. If you're a Republican, your list probably includes a liberal Democrat watching MSNBC, right? And you, you watch them on there, and you're like, I can't, they, just, they don't know God at all. And if, you're a, and if you're a Democrat, then it's the Fox News watching conservative Republicans, because we all have lists. Let's just get it out in the open. We all got them. We all got our list. It's the pro-life or pro-choice. It's the homosexual. They're on a lot of people's lists. It's the, it's the you know, if you're rich, it's the poor people who if they, would just, if they would just spend their money the way God tells them. And then if you're poor, it's the rich people who are always taking advantage. We all have lists. Nicki Minaj on American Idol. I don't know who's on your list. According to my Facebook, she's on a lot of people's list. Paul's saying, look, I wasn't talking about those people. You got it confused. You got it wrong. I wasn't, I wasn't talking about them. We, we don't need to have lists of people that we're not going to associate with because then we just have to leave the world, and that's really not what we're here to do. He goes on, verse 11, he says, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who, look at this, claims to be a brother or sister. That's the way they, that's the kind of language they use to talk about insiders, to talk about fellow disciples. Here are people who have committed to us like family, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slander, drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with such people. What Paul's saying is, look, look, insiders, people who have committed to be part of your spiritual family, they're supposed to live in a certain direction. And, and when they choose to live in a different direction, then, then you have the ability to hold them accountable. It doesn't mean bash them over the head. Like my mom, when, when I was a little kid, right, went to this church, and my mom had this really, really long hair, like down to her knees long hair, and she got it, and she sang in the church, right? She sang, she was singing in the choir, she'd sing a special, if you've ever been in that kind of church. Um, 
she would sing specials often, right, with her paper and the soundtrack. Anyway. <laughs> so got off track. All right. Anyway, well, one day my mom decided to cut her hair, and she cut it, like, down to, like, you know, like halfway down her back or something. And this lady showed up at our house and told my mom, you lost your anointing to sing because you cut your hair. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? We're not trying to bash people over that. Because sometimes, look at this, sometimes, 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 our standards are really opinions that we just need to keep to ourselves. Okay? This is not what, Paul's, Paul made a list here. And look, 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 look. He's saying, you got people worshiping other gods. Okay, that's not part of our community here. You got people, you got you got people talking bad about other look, that's not acceptable in our community. That's all he's that's all he's saying. He's saying sometimes it's easier. Look, you thought I meant don't associate with them. I wasn't talking about that. Because sometimes it's easier to preach cut out the world than it is to live with accountability. The it's a lot more comfortable to just tell those on the outside you suck than it is to look at somebody that you're friends with and say, hey, I noticed this inconsistency in your life. And it, it might just be me, but I want to know how can I help. That's a lot harder conversation, isn't it? Than to say, yeah, you out there, you out there, you're going to hell. That's easy. You can do that anywhere, but to grab somebody that you're friends with that you have over to your house for dinner to say, hey, I noticed that you're having some difficulties in your marriage. Can I help? I want to be here for you. No, that's different. That's different. That's all that, that's all that Paul's saying. That's it. Look, 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 he finally gets to our question, okay? Verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's a rhetorical question because we already know the answer. None of your business. It's none of my business. It's none of your business. What business do we have of holding non-Jesus-following people accountable to Jesus-following standards? This is what Paul says. None of our business. It's none of our, none of our business. And he's not talking about like federal law and civil law. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the direction of life for a Jesus follower. He's talking about how you handle your, your marriage, how you handle your finances. He's talking about how you, how you operate with integrity. He's talking about telling the truth. He's talking about living life the way Jesus lived life. So what business do I have holding someone, to, uh, holding someone accountable to a standard that they haven't signed up for? They haven't signed up for it. So what business is it? And the answer is easy. It's none of our business. None. And that's the reason some of you used to go to church. Because, because you used to go to church because you were in this church and, and you felt like there were this group of Christians holding you accountable to a standard that you didn't sign up for. It's like, look, I, I didn't sign up for this and, 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 and so I'm just going to leave. And look, can I say it? That's not your fault. They were leveraging something other than love. They were leveraging power. And anytime we leverage something other than love, we go backwards. You see, in the New Testament, the disciples of Jesus, they didn't expect non-Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. They didn't expect it. They expected Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. And so look what he says. Look how he wraps up this chapter. This is incredible. Are you not to judge those inside? God, verse 13, will judge those outside. The church is notorious for getting this backwards. We are. We're, we consistently police the behavior of those on the outside while we ignore the behavior of those on the inside. Because why? It's easier to police the outsiders than it is 
to have an awkward conversation with a friend. And Paul says, no, 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 it's the other way around. Do a better job of policing yourself. And they're, they're, on the outside, they're not accountable to you. You don't have any business judging them. Look, if you've, ever been, if you've ever been a parent or a kid, you know this is true. Some of y'all are looking at, that should cover everybody in the room. You're like, I don't have kids. Yeah, but you were a kid. If you've ever been a parent or a kid, all right, we get this. We understand this because here's what Paul is saying. Look, look, I don't show up in your house and tell your kids to do their homework because the truth is I don't care if your kids do their homework. They're not my kids. Not my kids. But, but I care if my kid does his, if Lex does his homework. I care a lot. And if he gets grouchy and if he gets ornery about doing his homework, I don't care. He's my kid. I'm going to judge him. I'm the judge. In the house, I'm the judge. Look, dude, do your homework. I don't care if you get mad. I'm the judge. This is all Paul's saying, but, but I don't walk up into your house and tell your kids, do your homework. Why? Because none of my business. It's none of my business. That's all Paul's saying. That's, that's all Paul's saying. When you, when you join, when you join, then you, you're called to be accountable. Look, that's why we talk about membership at Vertical Church. That's why we encourage people, if they want to sign on to be part of the community, not to increase some number, not to grow a big church, but simply to say, we need to know who's committing themselves to be accountable. Because look, if you don't sign up and invite us to be, to, to be a pastor, invite us to, be, to help you be accountable, then hey, cool, you know what? That's fine, come, worship, join us, uh, be in a small group, serve, awesome. But when it comes down to matters of do we hold you accountable, then no, because you haven't joined our community. You haven't said, I commit and submit myself to be accountable to my local church. That's why we talk, that's, that's it. That's why we do it, because we have no business judging those who haven't signed up to be part of the family. This is, what, this is all Paul's saying. So like I said, I don't care if your kids do their homework. They're not my kids. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to create a new answer, not the answer that says love the sinner, hate the sin, a new answer. And here's the bottom line. If you don't get anything else, here it is. Love the sinner, leave the sin to God. Love the sinner. Love, that if we leverage anything other than love, we go backwards. So love the sinner. Let's leave the sin to God. This is what Paul says. Let God, let God deal with the outsiders. Let's leave, let's leave the sin to God. When we abandon that strategy, we go backwards. We go backwards and we lose our influence in the world. Love one another. This is, what, this is all it means to be a disciple. Love one another. Stop judging outsiders. Part of love is to hold each other accountable, drawing things to our attention, but then draw outsiders from the outside and say, hey, hey, come, come watch us love each other. Watch us, watch us be willing to die for each other. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to make you feel guilty. We're not going to condemn you. No, 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 no. We just want you to see what it looks like. Can you imagine if we wouldn't have gotten this one wrong? Can you imagine if, if we never abandoned that strategy you know, that family member that you have that experienced that thing that they experienced in that church and they said they'll never go back to church again? Maybe that wouldn't have happened. Maybe they wouldn't have had that falling out. Maybe they would still be part of the community. Can you imagine if we had gotten that right? So let's us. Let's just us in the room right here, right now. Let's just us, those of you who would say, I'm part of the family. Let's us commit ourselves 
to loving better those on the inside, loving better those who we're in family with, and then not judging people on the outside. Let's, let's leave it to God. Let's love them. Let's, leave it to, let's show them grace. Let's show them God's love and let God deal with it. Because God's really the only one that can deal with it. Because it's not my business. It's not your business. Paul says God will be their judge. One last thing before we go. Last thing. Don't miss next week. Let me pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.